All right. So um, as you get seated uh, back to your to your seats. So we finished up in in Exodus uh, 24, if I'm not uh, if I'm not mistaken, last week. Um, And we are going to skip and I'm going to be very careful how I describe this. We are going to skip a decent number of chapters and we're going to go all the way over to Exodus 32, uh, all the way over to Exodus 32. Now, the reason is the chapters that we're skipping is the delivery of, and Jason, do you mind grab it? The handouts are on the, or somebody, if you could grab, they're on the very back. Um, so we're, we're doing that because God gives a several chapter interaction with Moses on the tabernacle. He subsequently, in the, uh, Moses describes after chapter 32, the building of said tabernacle. So I want to take, and, and so what's going to happen is, this is our last message on the victory series, okay? Now, we'll stay in Exodus, but we're going to pivot a little bit. We're no longer going to look at victory in Exodus We're going to look at communion in Exodus and how to connect with the Lord. And we're going to be spending that in the the design of the tabernacle and the building of the tabernacle. Okay, And so we're going to pivot the way this feels from victory getting to this point to then now that we've gotten to this point where God establishes a place of worship establishes his tabernacle. We're going to look at that. But this one chapter sits kind of sandwiched between the the design, the pattern of the tabernacle and the building of the tabernacle. And, and there is a victory uh, concept here that I think points us into that. And so we'll transition to that in, in the coming weeks. But our situation is um, so so. You don't necessarily need to turn there. I think it's on your page. But Exodus 24, verses 18, the last verse we kind of covered. And Moses went into the midst of the cloud and got him up into the mount. And Moses was in the mount 40 days and 40 nights, getting that tabernacle description, uh, the plans, if you will. Now we jump to verse th- uh, chapter 32 and verse 1. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, So this is kind of, if you will, the perspective from the ground, not the perspective from the mount, but the perspective from the ground. And when people saw that Moses delayed to come out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Moses, uh, and said unto him, yeah, Moses, the, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt. We want not what has become of him. So there's a, so I should have, I, I wasn't clear. Moses, um, let me let me read it. I messed that all up. Sorry. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together and Aaron and said un, and said unto him, "Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as um, for as the, for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we what not uh, what has become of him." So I skipped a little bit because of the building of the the uh, the gods or the the making of the gods, which we'll talk about. But that's the situation is Moses has been in uh, up on the mount for 40 days and 40 nights, a little more than a month. What is it? I don't know, five and a half weeks, right? 
that he's been up in the mount interacting with God. If you remember back in Exodus 24, some of the leaders went up with him and Moses was very clear when they left, when he, when he and, and uh, Joshua left, they're like, hey, if you got issues, these guys can take care of it, right? They can lead. So there was a structure left in place to manage his absence. But the, and, and it's, it's interesting, Moses reiterates the story in Deuteronomy 9. So go ahead and turn over to Deuteronomy for just a moment. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 9. In uh, verses 9 through 12, and we'll read it. So this, again, is looking back. Uh, and, and when I was gone up into the mount to receive the tables of stone, even the tables of the covenant, which the Lord made, unto you, made with you, then I abode in the mount 40 days and 40 nights. Neither, or I neither did eat bread nor drink water, which is interesting. Uh, there's a lot of aspects to that, but he is communicating that it wasn't just a party for him up there either. He was sacrificing of his own, uh, you know, he was dealing with his own challenges to commune with the Lord. And the Lord delivered unto me two tables of stone written with the finger of God. And on them uh, was written according to all the words which the Lord had spake with you in the mount of the, in the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. And it came to pass at the end of the 40 days and 40 nights that the Lord gave me the two tables of stone, even the tables of the covenant. And the Lord said unto me, Arise, get thee down quickly from hence, for thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of, out of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They are quickly turned aside out of the way, which I have commanded them. They have made them a molten image. Okay, so Moses is reiterating this story uh, even later, kind of pointing back. So, so I want to spend a few minutes that they already had the wrong focus. The nation of Israel, or really the children of Israel at this point, had the wrong focus. If you notice in Exodus 14, 11, they said unto Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou, Moses, taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt with us to carry us forth out of, um, out of Egypt? So Moses, we're going to hang this on you. This is on your neck for bringing us out here into the wilderness. Oh, wow. Okay. Moses didn't actually part the Red Sea. Like he did like raise up a, his rod, but like Moses didn't do that. Moses may have been the, the, the conduit of the plagues, but Moses didn't do the plagues. Like, it's pretty clear God delivered them. But their focus, all the way in Exodus, four, all the way back in Exodus 14, which at this point is still just months, you know, weeks have gone by, their focus is on Moses. Moses, man, this is your fault. Even in Exodus uh, 16 and verse 3, and the children of Israel said unto them, would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. I mean, God would have killed us. He would have allowed us to pass quickly. Um, sorry, a little joke. Uh, and when we sat by the flesh pots, when we did eat the bread, uh, to eat bread to the full, I mean, we could have died at least so our bellies would have been full. But for ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. God would have taken care of us back in Egypt. But you leaders of the children of Israel, including Moses, you brought us out here to die. So they've already got a bad mindset. They're already in a position 
where they're hanging this on Moses, okay? Second is they misunderstood God's timeline. In verse, thir- in verse one, it says, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down, who said that 40 days or 40 nights was delayed? Maybe it was supposed to be a year he was up there. Like, it was delayed from their perspective. They had expectations. They thought this is taking too long. Now, quick lesson here. Don't doubt God's timeline. Don't. You don't have the whole perspective. I mean, this is literally like the kid that's like, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Well, how about you just trust your parents in the journey, right? How about you just trust the Lord that he's taking you on the path as long and as circuitous or as direct as that path may need to be? Be patient. Be patient. In Luke, uh, we'll go ahead and turn over. to. We're going to do a little bit of turning today. In Luke uh, chapter 12, there's a, a parable here. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 30, uh, 35, right? Um, uh, it's actually not a parable, it's teaching. Uh, Let your lorns be girt about with, and your, your lights burning, and ye yourselves uh, like unto men that wait for their Lord when we return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, that they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Not, not that they were timed it and said, oh, he's going to come at midnight, so I'll get up at, at 1150. I mean, that's, I don't know about your kids. I know we've got people in here with kids of all ages. We try to leave the house at a specific time to make it to church. My son has this amazing ability to cut that. Like he, this morning, he was literally putting clothes on as we're walking out the door. It wasn't quite that bad, but it felt that way. <laughs> he wasn't. Who knows how long he was awake? But, yeah, but, but, but he's like trying to cut. He's not watching, right? Now, in this case, it wasn't his parents returning, so to speak. But it's this fact, it's this concept of, are you watching and waiting? Or are you just, are you, are you postponing getting ready, right? Uh, and you yourselves like in a men that wait for their Lord, uh, um, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you, that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and, and will come forth and serve them. And if he shall come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. They're ready. They're ready. Uh, jumping, Jump on down. And Peter said unto him in verse 41, Lord, speakest thou uh, this parable unto us uh, or even to all? And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give him their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you, that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But, and if that servant say in his heart, my Lord delayeth coming 
and shall begin to beat the member servant, the men servants and the maidens, and to eat and drink and be drunken, the Lord of that servant will come in a day when, when he looketh not for him, at an hour when he's not aware, and will cut him in asunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. Like literally, this is the the this is a situation where you don't need to try to outguess God. Just trust and watch. Be patient for them. They weren't, they, they, Moses is delayed. Moses is delayed coming down. Well, maybe not. Maybe he's right exactly on time. Acts uh, 1, 6 to 7. Lord, will at this time, uh, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons. Like, don't worry about it. I mean, I don't know if you catch, caught that. That's Acts 1 after the resurrection. <laughs> like, so Jesus has not just taught, not just done miracles. He's been crucified, oh, and come back and shown himself. Like, why can you not just trust? Why can you not just trust the God of the entire universe that his timing is okay? And anytime we have to push, anytime we have to finagle the situation and try to, every time at least I've done that, it's gone wrong. Matthew 26, or uh, 24, 36. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Like, don't, it's not just don't try to figure out when the Lord's coming back. Just trust that the Lord's coming back and watch and be ready. Like, that's sufficient. So that so the God's timeline was understood, but this absence of leadership creates a vacuum sometimes. Absence of leadership creates a vacuum. You know, we see in our passage in Exodus 32 that Moses had, had left some structure, at least we saw that in Exodus 24, had left some structure for there to, to for things to, to go well. But, but we see this pattern continue. Notice in, in Luke 19, he said, therefore, a certain noble man went into a far country to receive himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his 10 servants and delivered unto them 10 pounds and said unto them, occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. The lack of the leader, the authority, creates a vacuum, and this is, so, so I don't know if this is true or not, but there were supposedly many attempts or potential uh, opportunities to take Hitler out toward the end of, of World War II. But the Allies apparently chose not to do that because Germany was collapsing, the, the, they were being, they were losing, Right? The Allies were constricting down on Germany and subsequently to Berlin. The concern was if you kill Hitler, somebody else might step in that actually isn't crazy and actually might be able to, to mount a better defense. So at some point, a vacuum of leadership is a problem. It can be a problem. Let me just be very, very clear to you. When Sam leaves and goes out of town, we, we talk about this. And this happened, uh, at least not maybe the last time, but the previous time. Sam went out of town, crazy happens. And I'm not talking about the pastors. We don't bicker. But like, 
crazy happens. There are attacks, outward attacks on this body when the pastor is just trying to take a, a trip or trying to go on vacation or goes on a mission trip. And we have to hunker down as other pastors and make sure we're absolutely connected because it's not the time for somebody to be like, oh, I can be surrogate senior pastor. No, that's like not how it works, right? This absence, it happens also in, in Mark 12, uh, two through eight. We're gonna, we're gonna skip that for, for now for the sake of time. So the principle, uh, victory principle number one, your lack of understanding, whether it's timing or the leadership situation, does not constitute an emergency. Well, I don't understand. I need you to tell me what's happening. Amen. Actually, no, we don't. <laughs> you know? It's not an emergency. Just like your lack of planning, the lack of planning on your part does not constitute an emergency on my part. Your lack of understanding or perspective on it does not create an emergency either. Okay? It just doesn't. All right, so the struggle, the struggle. Now, look back at Exodus 32. We're going to go from verse uh, 2 through 5. 32, two through five. And Aaron said unto them, break off the golden earrings, which are in your ears of your wives and the ears of your wives and of your sons and your daughters and bring them unto me. And all the people break off their golden earrings, which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, these be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Okay. And uh, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. So craziness, crazy times, right? So these are the steps to idolatry. I think you have six steps to idolatry. All right. So I'll do one at a time. So you're not just feverishly writing. The first is a lack of godly leadership. Aaron, almost immediately upon realizing that Moses is delayed and the people are saying stuff, instead of saying, no, Moses is right on time. Don't trust or don't doubt God, trust God. Moses will come back when Moses is done interacting with the Lord and it will be a blessing. Instead of doing that, he's like, you're right. He's not come back. We should build a golden calf. Like, huh? Right? So it's the lack of godly leadership, the lack of godly leadership. Now, this is a step toward idolatry in your life. So if you have substituted a godly leader with an ungodly leader, that is a, and I'm not going to say this is a hard, hard, fast rule, but it's certainly a step toward idolatry, okay? It's a, a step toward allowing something in your life that shouldn't be there, that takes the place of God, is if you do not have godly leadership in your life. The second is misappropriation of God's blessing or provision. I don't know if you remember where these, where these golden earrings came from, but they were from the land of Egypt, or from the people of Egypt, that were going to be provision for them right? Going to be provision. They could trade them. They could remember. They could hang on to them if they were heirlooms. Like they didn't exactly know it was going to happen, but I know God didn't intend to take the the earrings off of the Egyptians just to make a golden calf. The people interjected themselves in that process, okay? They misappropriated God's 
uh, blessing or provision. I see this, I, I'm just going to be very, very blunt and very, very real with you all. You know, sexual intimacy is a blessing or a provision from the Lord, but people misappropriate it all the time. <laughs> okay? So they take that which God blesses. It could be the friendships and the fellowship that we have. It could be any, it could be the job that God gave you. It could be the house or the car or even your kids. And they misappropriate those blessings and it becomes an idol. Okay? So again, steps to idolatry. The next is what I'm calling centralized power. Okay? Now, centralized power, and I couldn't have come up with a different term, and, and you can write it as I'm, as I'm talking if you can come up with a different term. Moses arguably had centralized power, right? But when Mo- Moses was a conduit of the power, the authority from God, right? So I would argue that while he had authority, it wasn't resident in himself. It came from, like, everything he had got from, came from God. But Aaron, on the other hand, is like, Hey, y'all, do this, bring it to me, and I'll take care of this for you. When, you're, when you have a person in your life, even a pastor, that's like, you need to take what God's, give, what God's the blessings God's given you, give it to me, I'll handle it, and give it back to you. And I'm not even talking about the televangelists, although they would fall into this category. But I am not the Holy Spirit in your life. That's not, I didn't sign up for that. I didn't. I don't. I don't get a special unction from the Lord to be able to be the Holy Spirit in your life. That's like, like I didn't. Like that's not the deal. Okay. Now, d- does God sometimes give me special discernment to give you counsel? Sure. But I'm still not the Holy Spirit. I'm still not the Holy Spirit. So that power doesn't become centralized in any one person, whether that's a leader or the person themselves. That power shouldn't be centralized in you. The next is unrighteousness or unrighteousness uh, or unrighteous works are considered acceptable. I don't know who, well, I don't know the list of the thousands, dozens or hundreds or thousands of people that didn't kill Aaron on the spot. But I'm kind of, I mean, I'm just going to be honest. I'm, I'm dying to get to heaven to ask Caleb because Joshua was up with Moses. Caleb was one of the only other dudes that we find is truly faithful. Maybe it was through this process that he realized, oh no, like they're really messed up. But Caleb, why didn't you go up and just kill Aaron? Because you had every right to do that. You had every right to just interject yourself because God had said no idols. God had said like, and, and look, I mean, I'm not judging. I probably wouldn't have done it either. But Caleb, I mean, you're the man, right? All right. But unrighteous works were somehow considered acceptable very quickly, very quickly. And then there's an assimilation of the people, an assimilation of the people. And what I mean by that is, notice in verse four, he received them, he fashioned it, and they said... And they said, these be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. All of a sudden, it's not just Aaron anymore. It's leadership who's jumped on the bandwagon and said, hey, children of Israel, this, these be your gods. Whoa, like this escalated quickly. <laughs> this spiral happened very, very fast. The people assimilate. 
And then there's rationalization or integration of this sin into, and, and, and quote, spirituality, right? This rationalization. And this we see at the end of, I'm sorry, in verse five. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. So I don't know exactly what he's, what he's saying he saw, whether it's referencing back to the molten calf or the assimilation of the people. But when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, probably the calf, and Aaron made proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. Okay, so now we have idolized the Lord as a calf. Like what? Like there's a rationalization here of people taking that which is of the world, if you will, satanic, and that which is spiritual and biblical and trying to mesh them together. And when you see that craziness, I, I'm, the only word to come to mind is run. I, I don't know that that necessarily means run, but, but, but and maybe, maybe stand and fight, like if, especially if it's for your family or your ministry, but like you don't need to be a part of that. Now that's full on crazy. So this steps to idolatry are really important. So that's going to bring us to this group discussion. So I'm going to ask this question. Who made the golden calf? Was it Aaron? Was it the leaders? Or was it the people? Okay. There are a few verses out here that make me think different ways. So what's your first guttural response? Aaron, right? I'm with you. But notice... In verse in Exodus 32, 4, and he, Aaron, received at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. But notice in verse 8, they have made them a molten calf. God's actually saying this. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed therein too the, and, and said, these be the gods of Israel which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And then in verse 35, and the Lord plagued the people because they made the calf. So, who made the calf? Oh, well, well, we one at a time. All of the above. All of the above? Any other thoughts? Right. So Aaron instigated it and led it, but they participated. Okay. Did they know when they were giving him their golden jewelries that he was going to make? Yeah. Right, I I agree. I, I'm with you there, Tom. I, I'm with you that that it seems like Aaron's playing the they made me do it card, but he received them at their hand. I mean, he even said it right. Give me. Um, Aaron said it in verse two. Break off the golden earrings and, and bring them unto me. Like they didn't yeah. really. They initiated the thought to Aaron. They said, hey, listen, you know, um, come on and make us a God that go before us because we don't know where Moses is. He could have said yes. He could have said no. Right. So the people initiated that. And I, this is what I, why I say he may have crafted the idol, but the people really made it before he even formed it. Okay, so based on verse 1, the people saw that Moses delayed. The people gathered themselves together and, uh, unto Aaron and said unto him, Make us gods. So the people maybe weren't the tools, but the people were the instiga- uh, in- yes. initiated or instigated it, I think uh, it was, your, was your term, right? But, yeah, but I think it goes back to leadership too. Like you're choosing who your leader, right. leader is, like who your 
soon as their leader visually changes, then they're like, well, he's, he's gone. Clearly, we, Garen is, so let's, they just followed whatever he was giving them. So he didn't give them godly leadership. He gave them whatever he was capable of doing. Okay, so Aaron made it? Yeah, I think so. Okay. He just followed. At, at, their, at their request, but he didn't. Okay. But but could they not have told him he was doing wrong? Like the reality is, and I think Doug probably hit on it, at least from my perspective, is they all had a part. And if any one of those parts wouldn't have participated, I'm not sure we would have got there. Okay. I'm not, I, I don't know, it's speculation. I will readily admit it's speculation. But if Aaron doesn't say, if, if the people don't say, make us a God, then it probably doesn't happen. If Aaron doesn't respond by saying, bring me your earrings and I'll make it, it probably doesn't happen. If the leaders don't say, now that it's made, let's worship it as compared to destroying it, it pro- it happens, but it doesn't happen with the same you know same uh, gravi- uh, you know the same gravity or same importance, right? So I would argue to my simple question of who made the golden calf, kind of all of them. But what's the lesson here? All of us have the opportunity to participate to the extent of the, either making the golden calf or stopping it from being made. We all have that opportunity. This doesn't hang solely around Aaron. It doesn't hang solely around the leaders and it doesn't hang solely around the people. And let me just be very clear. If Sam goes crazy and people say that'll never happen. I've, I've met, I actually work with a person who, who fell, fell, I don't remember if it was on stairs or something, but their personality fundamentally changed after they hit their head. Okay. Accidents happen that cause people, and I'm not even saying this person's crazy. They're just different. So let's say Sam, this winter, there's some ice, and Sam slips and hits his head. And now he doesn't want to start preaching from the book anymore. Okay, is it Sam's fault? Kind of. Is it the leader's fault if we allow him to keep pastoring? Yeah, kind of. Is it the people's fault, the, the church's fault, if we can, if, if you, I'll say you all, and I'll put myself in the category of leaders, if you all just allow it? Yeah. Like, we all have a responsibility to stop a progression toward sin, to stop a progression toward idolatry. Okay? We are all responsible. Okay? The results of sin very quickly... Uh, or, or I'm sorry, and so, so this point here, it violated the first two commandments. The, it was very clear that it violated the first two commandments. And I think it's interesting that the, that the affront to God was actually a violation of the first two, <laughs> right? Not having other gods and not making idols. Like, that's a, that's a pretty big affront. So just a, extra for no, no extra cost. Okay, so the results of sin... There was mockery in verse six. It says they rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings and, um, and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. It's very interesting to me that they rose up to play. That's a, a form of a mockery. They're mocking uh, worship in that. And then God shortens his time with Moses. Look at verse seven. And the Lord said unto Moses, go 
get thee down for thy people, which thou brought us out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. So, so literally the implication is that God and Moses communion, their time together was interrupted because God now has to say, go quickly, go down and deal with this. All right. And then the third is there's public nakedness in verse 25. And when Moses saw uh, that the people were naked, for Aaron made them naked under their shame among their enemies. So do not be surprised when there is a movement from the truth. It's really weird how people want to get liberated. Okay? They want to get naked. Okay? And I'm not even sure this is sexual. There's probably some component of it. But it's just weird. Like, it's just weird. And that's why people... People will often identify nakedness with sin, okay? I mean, there is scripture for that, in at least understanding of sin and your perspective of sin, etc. right? Adam and, Adam and Eve saw that they were naked, right, because of their sin. But there's, there's a component of that, and that's why people push against, you know, like, like nakedness in movies and those types of things because they want to, they want to separate it. The reality is that it's too late, it's too late. Like once the movie's been made, the people have already gone there, if, if that makes sense. I'm not saying just go out and watch naked, naked people in movies. But my point is you can't legislate morality, right? You can't say don't be naked, every, therefore everything's okay. You know, we need to move up the stream of the process and get people connected with the Lord. And then surprise, surprise, they don't dress as crazy <laughs> or they don't feel like they need to be naked. And there, th- this, is, this is something that I love seeing at this church. And, I, and I'm going to try to be very specific with my words. There are times when there are young ladies, you know, Kaya age, or just young adults that will come in here. And I'm like, wow, that doesn't seem like an appropriate dress for church. And then they get saved. And then I see them get baptized. And then it's not too long. And they're dressing modestly. Like the Lord has done something in their life. They're no longer trying to, and look, they're not walking in naked, praise the Lord. But, but the point is that which was broken inside of them, which caused them to want to do that has been redeemed, fixed. And now they're in a better place, right? Guys don't tend to, when we are separated from the Lord, we don't tend to, to want to show our chest hair, right? Like that's not, that's weird. I mean, it's just uh, weird even coming out of my mouth. Like that's not a thing, right? Guys, when we're, when we're not right with the Lord, we do different kind of things. But, but anyway, I've, I've said enough. There's public nakedness. Let's move on. Victory principle number two. The journey into sin is a short one. Stay diligent. The journey into sin is a short one, whether it's those steps into idolatry or the component parts of the leadership uh, or who made the decision, the journey into uh, sin is a short one. So the victory, dividing the posers and the soldiers. So you have P's and S's on your fill in the blank. All right. This first one is Aaron and Joshua. Notice the poser of Aaron in Exodus 32. And Aaron said, Thou knowest the people, that they are set on mischief, 
For they said unto me, make us gods which shall go before, before us, which is probably Tom's point why they postured in the Ten Commandments Aaron as if he was hesitant to do it but had to or he was going to be killed or something, right? Because this posture, I, when I read Exodus 32, 22 to 23, I think he's making an excuse personally. But, but Aaron is a poser, He's not a soldier. Notice, though, when Joshua, who's still up on the mount to some degree, not exactly right with uh, Moses and God, but he's up on the mount. He himself has been up on the mount for 40 days and 40 nights, waiting on his Moses to return. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. Moses like, no, 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 they're partying. Well, actually, it was a spiritual war. Joshua got it. Joshua realized what was going on. There's noise of war in the camp. And then there's a contrast between the posers and soldiers of the people from those that were consecrated. So were the consecrated from the people? Yes. But the people in general, the children of Israel in general, in verse 32, 25, and when Moses saw that the people were naked, was everyone naked? Probably not, based on the context. I'm sure there were some moms who were like, no, Johnny, no, Susie, we're going to be over here. Uh, But then Moses, in verse 26, then Moses stood in the gated camp and said, who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves unto him. And then jumping down to verse 29, for Moses has said, consecrate yourselves to the Lord, uh, 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 today to the Lord. So there are posers in the nation of Israel, the children of Israel that just gave themselves. So where were the children of Levi or the, yeah, the children of Levi, uh, the sons of Levi rather, uh, in this process? Well, to some degree they were participating, whether by not interjecting themselves or by not stepping up, they were tacitly endorsing it, right? But when they were called to the table and said, who's going to stand with the Lord? They stepped forward. And we don't have time to go into it, but then they have to go kill 3,000 people. People that are their brothers and their neighbors. Probably the same people that were naked. Not guaranteed, but probably the same people that are naked. So there were the posers of the people and the soldiers, those who I would say became consecrated, the sons of Levi. And then this one's a little bit hard because the name that goes in this last one, the poser is Moses. And Moses, the passionate Moses is a poser. Why? Because in verse 19, Moses' anger waxed hot and he cast the tables out of his hands and break them beneath the mountain. He's like, I'm done. These people are dumb with a B. That's, that's when it's real, real in our house, in the Dobson household. They're dumb. You got to say it with a dumb with a B. Okay. I mean, Moses was ticked right after he had got done, by the way, negotiating with the Lord about not killing them, not, not like wiping them all off the table. And he's like, no, Lord, don't, don't do that. Like they're your people. And so God repents from that, doing that evil, which is a whole other message, but God repents from doing that evil And Moses comes down and then sees how bad the debauchery is. And then he's like, that's it. I'm done. Your stupid child, childish ways. Okay. He was passionate. 
He said, but notice the purpose to Moses in verses 30 and then 31 and 32. Moses said unto the people, ye have sinned a great sin. And now I go up unto the Lord. Peradventure, I shall make an atonement for your sin. If I get the chance to stand before God and make an atonement for your sin, I will. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, oh, this people have sinned a great sin. And have made them gods of gold. He's saying this to God. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin. And then there's literally two dashes. Or maybe one dash, depending on on, on the the scripture. In in my printed Bible, it's... um, Let's see, turn the page here. It's one long dash. In others, there's two dashes. Okay. I don't exactly know what that means, okay? But notice it's an incomplete thought. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and he doesn't finish his point. And then he says, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of the book which thou hast written. Moses literally can't finish his sentence. I don't know why. One of the things on my list, I've got a, a notes on my phone of all the things that I'm going to ask the Lord. I think he'll let me take my phone. I will probably have it in my hand at the rapture. Just, I mean, most likely might even be looking at it. Um, what was Moses going to say and why was he unable to finish? My Mitch Dobson interpretation that could be 100% wrong is that he can't fathom the concept that God wouldn't forgive them. He says, yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, take me out of, out of the book which thou hast written. So the victory principle here, I think, is very clear. See past the sin to the redemption. Okay, see past the sin. Moses initially can't see past the sin. He gets mad about it. He casts the tables down. He's so ticked. But then, fairly short order, he realizes there are people that love the Lord. They got caught up. We are human. He goes to the Lord and says, these, you're, these people, you know, your people have sinned. And if you'll forgive them, if you'll forgive them, but, but if not, blot me out of that book. I'm with them because we're human. So Moses starts to see past the sin to the redemption. He doesn't get hung up there. This actually happens one other time in scripture that is very, very similar parallel. And it's interesting that it's in Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, 1 through 3. Thank you. I say, the, I thought it was a good verse too. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Paul describes great heaviness and continual sorrow in his heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. 
I've heard this story about, and maybe I've shared it in class. I've shared it certain times teaching, and it's a, it's a beautiful, the young, the young preacher that wants to understand how to become a good preacher, and he hangs out with the, the old school preacher, and the preacher says, you know, come spend the day with me, and I'll, I'll teach you how to get, get close with the Lord. So he's excited, you know, he's going to spend time with them, and he's going to spend time with them. And uh, so he's at his, you know, this is old school. So he's at his farm and, and the, the, the old school pastor leans up and says, you see that horse trough there? Get real close to that horse trough and you can hear the Lord. Have I told this story? Get real close. And you can, you can hear the Lord down in that and the, pre, the young preacher's like, okay, he's a little weird, but I'm, I'm, he's, he's a man of God. I'm going to do it. So he puts his ear down. He's like, no, no, you got to get closer to the water to hear the Lord. Cause the Lord. And so as soon as the young pastor gets down there, the old pastor jumps on and pushes his head underwater. And he's like pushing, holding him under the water. And the young pastor's flailing and he pulls him up for a second and he pushes him back down and pretty soon pulls him out. And the young pastor's just like, what in the world are you doing? He's like, you know how bad you wanted air? He's like, yeah, I was going to die. He's like, that's how bad you have to want the Lord. That's how bad. You have to want the Lord to that level. If we're going to reach the world for Christ, we have to want the lost, the naked, those who worship idols to want the Lord. And we have to be willing to be accursed, so to speak, like we have to be willing to not actually doctrinally sacrifice our salvation, but we have to put ourselves in harm's way so that they would be led to the Lord. Like that's a missional message. That's why it's a minute, the victory of reconciliation. Moses realizes the people are going to sin and they need a savior. They need redemption. And that's why I'm excited about our study of the tabernacle because it all points to Christ. It all points to Christ. If you've never made that decision to have your sins covered, you're going to continue living this cycle of idolatry and that's no good. You need someone to pay for your sins. Fortunately, I know a guy who paid for your sins on Calvary's cross. If you've never made that decision to make him, not just Lord, but to make him Savior, please, please talk to me afterwards. I can't help but believe the Lord gave this message to you today. Let's pray.